Hey, welcome to episode four of the Letterpress Digest podcast. Uh, in this episode, I talk to Harold Kyle. He is the founder and president of Boxcar Press. I'm sure many of you know of Boxcar Press. You may even have one of their Boxcar bases, uh, which is one of the things they are well known for amongst many others. Uh, but that Boxcar base is that big hunk of metal that has those awesome grid lines on it that uh, you can use to print polymer plates. We have, my wife and I have uh, several of our own, and I think they're a mainstay in many sort of modern letter letterpress uh, print shops these days. So you'll hear about that. You'll hear about the making of that base, how it came to be. Uh, but there's really so much more to his and, and their story than just that base uh, and polymer plate making. Um, so you'll hear him start in the basement and how Harold likes to move really heavy pieces of equipment, which I, I find <laughs> utterly crazy um but he does and, and you'll hear about that he'll, he'll talk about it so uh so yeah let's dive in here we go hey harold thank you so much for joining the show Jordan, good to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. I'm so excited to, to talk to you about, uh, about your experiences, about Boxcar. Uh, I, I feel like you guys have a, a lot to contribute. You, you contribute a lot to, to the industry, to the letterpress world. So uh, I'm excited to hear, to hear your thoughts. Um, I kind of wanted to start with where and how you entered the letterpress world. Okay. Well, uh, I guess it started as a art student at a liberal arts school, Carleton College in Minnesota. I was, uh, I was an art major and uh, I did that primarily to access the uh, art major's dark room because I was into photography at the time. But uh, while taking printmaking classes, um, there was a Vandercook number three in the uh, printmaking studio that nobody used and there was also a, a cabinet of type and I, I just kind of got interested in it. And uh, my girlfriend at the time, who's my wife now, is a poet, so um, got the idea that we could work on some projects together. Started setting type, just not knowing anything. And the professor kind of took pity on me and suggested I uh, get in touch with the Minnesota Center for Book Arts to figure out what I'm supposed to be doing. And uh, kind of went from there. Uh, during the summers between uh, classes at, at school, I would try to elbow my way into the Minnesota Center for Book Arts and pick up what they had to teach. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess that's how I got started. I really got hooked on it at that point and uh, really loved handling the, the materials and uh, the papers and uh, how it really uh, brought the written word to life. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so that, that's how I got into it initially. Wow, cool. Yeah. Well, so how did you get started with Boxcar? How did that sort of, how did you transition from an art student, you know, to, to this uh, large letterpress organization? Well, I feel like uh, art degree is a great background for an entrepreneur because you're kind of mm-hmm. thrown out into the world on your own and you've handled a lot of criticism and, and doubt over the time and had, <laughs> had to deal with it. So, so you know, at that point, um, I, well, right after graduation, I got a job at a Minneapolis book bindery that actually bound a lot of letterpress books uh, called Campbell Logan. And uh, we had toured there during a, a class my senior year. And uh, I just asked the Greg Campbell if, you know, if he had any summer jobs, I might be living in the city for a little bit after graduation. And that's, that further exposed me to letterpress. Um, and so just uh, 
handling the books and uh, also being more involved in MCBA, I, I really fell in love with the, the printing, really just felt like this is what I want to do with my life. And uh, just kind of plotting that out, I realized I needed to have some income so uh, in order to, to keep doing this. And uh, kind of moonlighted at MCBA for uh, people I contacted there. I could, I, could, uh, I could print after hours for them. And it really just grew from there, uh, doing friends, record packaging and uh, show posters, that sort of thing. Uh, really anything I could print. I was not business savvy at all. I really was doing everything the wrong way business-wise, but just really loved the printing. And that's what, that's what really got me started and gave me enough momentum to get through those uh, financially troubling years. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and, and you asked about like, uh, you know, big, like how Boxcar came about. Uh, it was, uh, it was just, just because of that. I just wanted to be printing. It was, I always saw it as more of a hobby thing. And uh, it's because I really had no clue about business that um, I thought I could do it on my own at the time. Uh, when that became clear after a few years of just not making money and struggling, uh, my wife joined as a partner. And uh, she and I made a great team that helped grow the business. So that was really important. Wow. Yeah, that's cool. Well, so what was your what was your thought process when you decided, you know, you, you're going to create a, a I don't know if you started brick and mortar or if you guys opened up like if that's you, you I guess, uh, purchase space or, or whatever, and then sort of moved oh, in no. presses in. No, is it? No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> I mean, it depends what you mean by brick and mortar. If you mean like a, a dilapidated uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, warehouse uh, like half a mile from any other residence where a lot of artists camped out on the train tracks, uh, in Minneapolis, that's, that was the type of space I was in. Uh, I shared it with a a truck driver in a, in a record label, the space that was started with a, a 10 by 10 foot space just through the, um, hundred dollar Vandercook I'd bought into that room and uh, tried to scrounge and find some type and really had trouble doing that, collecting any type. So, uh, so I, it was nothing like uh, a storefront. <laughs> and in fact, I'd worked some retail jobs in college and really hated retail. So I just, I wanted to be as far from that as possible. I didn't really want to contact. I didn't want to talk with people. I just wanted to, just wanted to print, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so now we were way off the grid. It was like as far away from the hustle and bustle of Minneapolis as you can imagine, even though we were right in the middle of Minneapolis. Yeah, so. absolutely. Well, is this, the, was this the beginning of Boxcar or was this kind of when you, yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was Boxcar. Okay, yeah. okay. What was your first press? What did you guys start with? You said Vandercook, right? Yeah, it was a Vandercook number three. Uh, it came up on a on a letterpress online mailing list. Someone in Milwaukee had one for a hundred bucks, and I guess I was lucky enough. I was the first one to respond. I, I mean, I could afford a hundred bucks then. I couldn't afford much, but I could do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so that's that's what got things started. No idea what I was getting into. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think through all the other stuff I would have to buy in order to start the the printing process. But sure. seeing as that's the press I uh, seen first at a at a school, and uh, here's one for a hundred bucks. It just seemed like this is meant to be. Right. Yeah. Yes, it was. But you know, at the time, I really didn't have a clue. Sure. Uh, and just. Uh, found a space for, actually I put it in Campbell Logan for a few months, Greg let me, cause I really didn't have any plan. I just brought it back to Minneapolis. Didn't have a place. <laughs> so he let me leave it on the dock for a few um, weeks or months until I found a truck driver to give me some space in his studio. Wow. 
So yeah, I mean, it was really kind of yeah. It's, it's I'm making a sound. I mean, it was really just kind of not planned at all. Just sure. kind of happens, and uh, you know, I'm grateful for it because it's really what I love to do. Right. Uh, just pursuing that, and then you know, I, I bought some metal type from uh, Berliner, uh, some Centaur, and it, that was expensive. That was much more expensive than the press, and uh, and all of the type that I found just. Uh, you know, look, fi- trying to find used type at the time was really kind of banged up and it wasn't really special or anything. So it, that was the reason that I kind of uh, picked up photopolymer and kind of gravitated toward that. Um, it wasn't for any other reason that I couldn't find any type to really sell or to convince people to print with. Right. Well, well, talk to me about that transition. I mean, how did that start for you? Did you did, had you been introduced to photopolymer in, in school or, you know, no. uh, no, uh, yeah, so photopolymer at the time kind of had a, um, it was out there, but people kind of poo-pooed it. It just didn't have a very good reputation for quality. But um, two things about me is, that one, is I grew up just kind of uh, plugged into a computer. So I was very kind of into computers and, and always in life felt that they'd been kind of handy. And I liked that this, you know, would allow me to take a Macintosh and, and do what I did on that, put that on press. And secondly, I had a photo background, so I just I just thought, you know, maybe we can figure out what's what the quality problems are and, and work them out. Um, and and I bet I could do that for a lot cheaper than a you know cabinet of type. Mm-hmm. So uh, I ordered some samples from uh, Jet for uh, printing plates and uh, had a little scrub brush and a sink and you know started from there basically wow. uh, trying to see you know the right combinations. So there were other people in Minneapolis doing photopolymer at the time, like Chip Schilling, and uh, and uh, once I realized hey this might might work out, I, um, I I started talking with him and uh, for I don't know a few weeks or months he would have me come in and process his plates. So I got better hands-on experience there um, processing plates for him, and he taught me a few things. Uh, to get me kind of on track and, uh, and kind of went from there. Uh, it okay. didn't, didn't seem too hard and I was able to get the type I wanted um, on the projects I wanted to print. So it, it seemed like, well, this, is, this has got promise. I mean, commercially, it, I, can, I can convince right. people to buy something uh, without having to typeset it beforehand. This is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so tell, talk to me about polymer plates at that time. Were they they weren't clear, right? When, when you were printing with them then, is that right? Or were Okay. So, so yeah, everybody in Minneapolis that I knew, um, had been, uh, using steel back plates and that was certainly what most letterpress printers, um, in kind of our community were using, um, the plastic back plates. Um, I, I guess some other printers had dabbled with them. Uh, I come to find out, but I, I wasn't aware of that at the time. And I just had seen them in the, in the catalog for jet, these film back plates. And, uh, I never would have ordered them except for, uh, I got frustrated on a printing project where, uh, actually, well, speaking of money, I, I bought a bunting base and that was, I think something like $700 at the time for an eight by 10 base. And, uh, it was a lot of money for me and, uh, the project on press, the first color kind of bounced out of register. Uh, without me knowing it, without seeing it, um, I just figured the plate, plate would be <laughs> held in place. The magnet was so damn strong. I was like, there's no way this could move. Mm-hmm. But actually, it does move horizontally if, when the cylinder of the Vanderbilt hit it. Um, so uh, the second capacitive color, I realized, you know, everything was ruined. I went and lost all my paper. I was just kind of like, is this really going to be what's going to keep me from using photopolymer? And so, that, so just trying to 
uh, problem solved that, I, I, I just asked for some film back plates. Let's give it a try. Let's see how I can mount those. Maybe I'll just tape the edges or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, and you know, I could have also asked at that point in time, I could have asked Chip, what do you do when a color bounces out of register? But for some reason I didn't, I just like, uh, <laughs> figure this out. Uh, he would have told me, you know, what we're doing is we're putting down like some, uh, a steel rule, uh, at the, you know, at the back of the plate, butting it up against that to keep it from sliding. It works fine. Just do that, you know, but, but I didn't, I don't know. I just had to <laughs> suffer by myself and, uh, and so, uh, so yeah, so I got these plastic plates in and then, you know, 3M's right there in the Twin Cities. So I just called him up and I said, you know, here's my uh, problem. I've got a aluminum uh, surface. I have a plastic plate. How do I stick them together? And they recommended some film adhesive products. And, and that's, that's really how it all started. Um, and then uh, in order to make the one base that I needed, I needed to basically make 10 because uh, you, you don't just go to a uh, a, a grinding shop and have them make one. Mm-hmm. So then I, next thing I know, I'm <laughs> hawking these blocks of aluminum when I just want to be printing. <laughs> so that's, that's the, that's the way it started. And it turns out the people who bought those, um, uh, it, it were generally pretty happy with, uh, there were some kinks to work out and, and, uh, and of course, uh, it, the first ones weren't gridded or anything like that. That took some more time to figure out how to do. Uh, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, after a few iterations, we had a product that we could take to, to sell to people. And it just so happened things were getting popular with letterpress at that point. So mm-hmm. it was good timing on that. And people started buying them up. So. Wow. Yeah. So the, so the so polymer. That, that started with the film plates. I, okay. I, I come to find out other people had been playing around with them at the time as well. But, uh, but uh, I kind of did it in isolation in my uh, 10 by 10 Minneapolis studio. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, talk to me. Why, why would the bunting base not work for your, um, for the, I guess, the plastic backed um, plates, polymer plates? I, and uh, just keep in mind, I'm not, I, I've, I've never even seen a, 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 the uh, original plates you were talking about. I've only ever seen, you know, these clear. Oh, that's funny. Oh, oh yeah. Plates. Well, the, yeah. Steel, the steel plates were kind of a pain because they uh, they also had to be cut. They were sharp. The the magnetic base just snapped them down. They go, um, it almost rips them out of your hand. And then once they're on the the base, uh, if you have to make like a hairline adjustment, it's it's kind of tricky to move it around. Um, but uh, why wouldn't I use a bunting base for the um, for the plastic back plates? You know, I may have initially. Um, it probably did. I can't even remember, Jordan. Would that but, have been? Would that have brought it to the same type high? Would they have been about the, the same? The issue is the height, but yeah. I think that the uh, the bunting base was made for thicker plates, so I'm pretty sure I could have built it up. Mm-hmm. So I'm not exactly sure how how that whole like uh, trial and error process worked out. But I think what I realized though is that instead of doing eight by ten, I could fill up this whole Vandercook bed for mm-hmm. less than what it cost for that eight by ten. So it's like. That was probably more what drove me to wanting to make my own bases. It's like rather than, uh, you know, buy another expensive thing with magnets. It's got magnets impregnated, like embedded in the surface. You know, it's really, uh, right. I mean, in the in the block of aluminum, it's not just a surface magnet. Uh, it's a it's a it's a pretty awesome piece of machinery. Just uh, on a cylinder press, the way I was using it, you know, hammering the impression home on the on the on the cylinder press, mm-hmm. it just uh, bumped out a register. Yeah. Well, so what, what was the actual, yeah, (laughs) this frustrated me at the time. So what was the actual, um, what was impressing into the paper? Was it, was that also like some kind of plastic, uh, like for the, for these, um, 
metal backed bases were they, I mean metal backed plates were they was that like like copper or some kind of like aluminum engraving like what did that look like for the plates Oh, for the bunting base, it yeah. used. Uh, I know it's just a, it's just like the film back photopolymer. Oh, okay. It's got the same surface. Same surface. Uh, I get but it. but the, what's different is the is the substrate is the backing of the of what that surface is on. So oh. instead of being uh, like a clear plastic, uh, it's just a, a a thin magnetic stainless steel. Um, okay. So I mean, it's it's basically the same thing, but just with, it's rigid and sharp. Right, 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 <laughs> and, and uh, snaps on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, yeah, the, yeah. So that's that's how that worked. And, okay. Uh, and what led me to start making bases, and then and then you know after you, you put it out, you put out you know a few dozen bases in the world. Some of the customers that bought those were like, uh, you know, I love this. It's great, but I hate making plates. And I wish you would do that too. <laughs> and, and it was really from that. And I was like, yeah, you know, I'm tired of scrubbing these in the sink. Maybe I should get more professional equipment. And that's when. Uh, uh, took a plunge and really bought the first expensive piece of machinery I got, which mm-hmm. was the uh, photopolymer plate maker, and uh, and started a uh, a service to make people's plates for them. Mostly just th- thinking of the both for my printing needs, but also for the people who bought the bases at the time. Right. Well, well, tell me about that moment when you realized that the plates and the bases, uh, maybe they were in conjunction, were, were really popular, <laughs> that people wanted them and you were supplying them and you realized that you needed to supply more. I mean, how did that, how did that feel when you were like, tell me about that moment or I guess maybe, maybe a s- <laughs> series of moments. I don't know. You know, I, I, I don't know if there was ever a moment like that, Jordan. It was more like, I was just happy whenever I sold one and just kept selling them. Uh, you know, I don't know how many printers there are out there. Uh, it just seemed like we were, I, I mean, even until recently, it just, what surprises me is that most people that use this in our community now are the, it's like the, the most more common than the steel. I still think of ourselves at that point in time when we just had this upstart idea that's uh, not, you know, very well accepted. I still have that kind of mentality about it mm-hmm. even today. It, it just, it's odd to me that it's the predominant way to, uh, for people in our community to print. Uh, so I don't know if that's ever really hit home. <laughs> I, I love seeing, you know, on Instagram and if I go to book art centers or if I'm touring a letterpress shop, you know, our materials out there, I'm like, I still get excited about that. You know, yeah. it's, that's great. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think that's, but, uh, you know, I, I, I guess I haven't really thought of it as big business or anything like that mm-hmm. well yeah i mean we're my wife and i are, are very new to letterpress and we have three i think boxcar bases you know one we acquired when we got a little kelsey uh nine by 13 another we got for our little chandler and price and then we got a big Vandercook, so we bought a big base you know i mean just like that we're still new to letterpress but we've already got three of your bases you know so it's That's I awesome. mean, yeah it's really cool i think oh, it uh, makes me happy That's great yeah uh, no, no, I, I'm just happy that it's helped people out. I mean, for me, it was just, I mean, I'm still, a, I feel like I'm a printer and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we, we do printing here and if people can benefit from whatever we've figured out along the way, I, I just get delighted by that. That's great. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Okay. So tell me, tell me about the printing at Boxcar then. So you went from a Vandercook number three, obviously at some point you're, you're, you start printing more, you know, at what point do you get the Heidelbergs and the bigger equipment and you roll that in and, and... Oh no, that was a long time from then. Okay. Um, 
you know, and I love Heidelbergs and, and I worked at Lunalux in Minneapolis where I ran a Heidelberg and it was always like, Oh, I wish one day I could afford a Heidelberg. That would be great. But the, uh, but the, the, the supplies and the plate making really kind of, uh, took off pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, after I say like 2001, 2002, uh, that was right when I moved to Syracuse too. And, uh, well, uh, Minneapolis has an excellent print community and lots of print buying there. And I could be kind of a local print shop in Minneapolis, but I mean, Syracuse is a much smaller market. And so that kind of work died off. And so we focused on the, on the plate making and, and for a few years anyway, didn't really do much printing at all. Just kind of what fell in our lap, but not much else. Um, and so we really, yeah. So, so the plate making became almost all what we did in the supplies. And then, uh, and then when Debbie joined as a partner, uh, we put up a wedding invitation line and, and that started to take off. What was great about that is having moved to New York, Google was starting to become popular, but they couldn't figure out that we weren't like in New York City, mm-hmm. even though we're five hours, you know, four hours <laughs> off the day. So it's like all this New York, um, people looking for New York letterpress would find mm-hmm. us. And so we just kind of shut off of that. It was good, oh, wow. good time. So, so, but, but as that grew, actually, we were subbing out much of our printing, um, to a printer in Ithaca, uh, Brad Benedict, he, he was bound there. So we, we were actually just subcontracting a lot of our initial years of printing. And, uh, and then one day he's like, this is too hard. I'm going to go to law school. So, uh, so then we said, okay, we got to figure this out. We'll bring it in house. And, and we had to, hire people and kind of get our own equipment. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of a process, a learning process as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, t- tell me about that process. Tell me what it was like to move or acquire, I guess, that kind of equipment. You know, one of the things I really love about printing is moving the equipment around. So it really kind of, I got that bug when I moved to Syracuse and uh, I had a pickup truck. So, uh, and then I got a trailer and then I could do some damage. So it was like, <laughs> uh, I would just drive around finding old presses and try to try to haul them back to Syracuse and, you know, fill my garage. And then we got a space in this kind of artist warehouse in Syracuse where we still are. And I uh, just kept filling up spaces there. Most of the equipment I moved myself and just uh, kind of combed the Internet and uh, kept my ear to the ground for local print shops who might need some space. Uh, it seemed like whenever we needed a press, it wasn't too hard to find it. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the last few years, um, of course, Vandercooks have shot up in value and, and it is a little harder to find the equipment, but we found dealers nearby to us that specialize in Heidelbergs and, and that sort of thing. And the presses come kind of almost ready to go with minimal, you know, cleanup necessary. So, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, Wittenberg specializes in, in Heidelberg equipment and, uh, Southern Tier is a place by us that also handles a lot of equipment. So, uh, so but, you know, we, we've relied more on dealers in the last few years. But um, initially, I, I, I just I loved going and saving the equipment. Yeah. Well, For, yeah. I, 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 re- I want to ask. I want to make sure I understand this. So you said you actually really enjoy moving this massive <laughs> equipment. Is that right? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I'm just like a scrawny art student, so it, it, I get a big kick out of the. Uh, the equipment, like moving these 4,000 pound presses, you know, just with simple machines. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's, it's a great way to spend a Saturday. So, uh, yeah, you know, since I've had kids, I, I really haven't been able to move equipment around, but I look forward to the day when I can get a truck and trailer again and, and, and uh, just toss a Heidelberg back there and yeah, take it on a yeah. haul. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but until that day, you know, 
I got this print shop to run. So we're, we're I'm sticking with that right now. Absolutely. Well, are, were the, I mean, what were some of the, the common methods you used to move them? Or did you have like just go-to tips or things? I mean, when I when we moved our Vandercook recently, we bought it from Boston. I just, I bought a le- massive, you know, lever arm. It's like seven feet long online. And that that was that was basically yeah. all I needed. And I had a couple dollies and threw it on the dollies. And I basically moved it myself, you know, with, with those yeah. things. Um, but I, I mean, you know, is I that just... what you use or... Yeah, it was a pry bar and pipes and mm. blocks, uh, just, you know, little pieces of wood uh, come along, uh, you know, like a, a little mm-hmm. hand winch, basically, and uh, and a trailer. Yeah, so and you just kind of figure it out. I don't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when you're, you're trying to shove 4,000 pounds, you you, you got you to gotta be creative, I guess. That's yeah, what absolutely. I like about it. You know, and every, every situation was different, whether they right. had... Uh, it was in the basement. Oh dear, you know, or uh, mm-hmm. it had to get up on a dock or get off a dock. You know, that that was always kind of interesting. So uh, anyway, so you asked how I got the equipment. It was just more or less like that. Yeah. Uh, got a job. We, we were too busy on jobs. We need to get another press here. So, right. Yeah, let's go. One. So. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I know, I remember when we bought our our second press. I think it was just a Kelsey nine by thirteen. We bought it locally. And I had no idea that that guy is actually pretty big. He's probably 200 pounds, but it's a tabletop press. And we show up, you know, in my wife's, you know, four-door sedan. It's his little car. And it's like, I don't even know if this thing can fit in it because it's big, you know, and I'm trying to load it into the back seat, And it was such a mess. Those things are always unwieldy for me. And I always underestimated how big and heavy they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah, there could be a lot that can go wrong. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's fun though. Yeah, so that's how that's how that worked. And cool. and when we moved into the building that we're currently in, it's like a a lot of small studios. We just kind of grew inside the building. We just acquire space here and there, all around the space. You know, let's put some presses over here, and uh, we'll cut paper over there. Uh, and we need more room, so we'll cut paper over here now too. <laughs> you know, so uh, and then I think it was around two thousand seven, two thousand eight or so that we. Uh, uh, got a real big client that allowed us to help build out uh, a wing of the building and kind of get a more efficient shop floor. And that's mm-hmm. that's where we print nowadays. Okay. And since that point, we've been kind of stable as a company uh, with our size and growth. Uh, but, uh, but leading up to that point, those years between like uh, 2004 and 2010, say, uh, we were growing really fast and it was heady. Uh, our wedding invitation line was doing well. We got some big commercial clients um, to print for. Supplies and plates were taken off because the, there was a lot of interest in letterpress. And mm-hmm. People were getting into it, right. a lot of new customers, that sort of thing. So uh, those are great years for us. Uh, and helped make us who we are today. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, well, I'm really curious about your perspective on the industry writ large. I mean, having been uh, an organization for, I don't know, how old are you guys, 20 years maybe? 15, Almost, 20, yeah, yeah, our nineteenth anniversary. So, I mean, tell uh, me, sorry. tell me about your perspective on that that letterpress resurgence. I mean, you know, what does that oh, look like? Okay. Yeah, I mean, because at the outset, it really wasn't certain whether letterpress would really um, grow at all or it right. just wither, kind of like you know a lot of other um, commercially obsolete printing methods. You know, there's so many things that have come and gone, and uh, and. I, it, I just really wanted to see this 
survive the techniques, the equipment, the community around it, um, all of that. So it's so great to see the community not only survive, but uh, really grow and uh, become something new in the 21st century that's going to be, uh, you know, preserved. That there's uh, vendors uh, catering to the letterpress is, is delightful. I, you know, like mm-hmm. the Mohawk came out with another letterpress paper this year, right. 2017. That's incredible. I, I love to see that. And, uh, and it's just a sign of um, how far we've come. I think the moment that hit me was when I went to a, um, uh, a wedding, and this must have been around 2006, 2007, and sat down at the table, a bunch of friends of my friend getting married. And everybody at the table knew about letterpress. Not only that, people didn't even care that I had a letterpress company. They're like, oh yeah, we, we all, they all knew somebody who printed. <laughs> wow. Looking around, I was like, I love the fact that this is no big deal that I do this yeah. obsolete print <laughs> because it took so much explanation. Yeah, um, just three or four years prior to that, mm-hmm. and uh, and it just kind of relaxed me. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is <laughs> awesome. And it's a sign of just you know how successful uh, uh, the community had been and and uh, preserving itself. So yeah. So fast forward to today. I mean, I don't know that that awareness is still there uh certainly that was a trend at the time i'd I'd like to think it is i think there's still a lot of awareness of it um but but it's not quite as exciting anymore uh back then it was something really different it seems like um and so i you know now we're kind of in a more mature stage of this re-emerging industry and uh and where we go from here is probably different um you know we're, we're trying to be established and and uh and commercially viable, and uh, we're not going to get the same uh, influx of um, you know thousands of uh, new customers every year. Mm-hmm. But we will uh, hopefully uh, have real high quality established uh, uh, businesses, you know, promoting the the trade throughout the country, throughout the world. So yeah. Yeah. What do you, so on that, what do you think the next stage looks like? I guess, I mean, do you think the, the kind of the tidal wave, I mean, for what, 10, 15, 20 years, you guys have almost been like right at the beginning of that, you know, large wave. And what do you think it will look like in the future? Uh, Yeah. So, uh, I, I think, uh, a lot of the people who are, who are in this now, um, that might have, well, it's it's hard work. Letterpress is hard work, and it really takes a love of letterpress to, to keep doing it. I, mm-hmm. There's so many people doing letterpress night now who love it. I, I have a lot of faith that it's going to keep going. Um, but I think some of the people who maybe got into it thinking it was you know kind of a fun thing to do um, just because it was fun mm-hmm. might might drop off. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's hard work. I mean, but it but it's also beautiful and really touches people. So uh, I, I'm I'm definitely hopeful that that'll that'll keep keep interest high, uh, mm. you know, and, and I think, I think we are, um, more professional obviously than we were 15 years ago, uh, probably in more than we were 10 years ago, uh, while we were as a community growing and excited and, um, and, uh, trendy, uh, I'm not sure that the quality of the printing was really all that great during that time. I mean, we, we all did what we could, but, but, uh, I think nowadays, uh, People are really serious about doing a good job. I love to see how um, typecasting has kind of also had a resurgence lately. Uh, different, as- you know, hot metal mm-hmm. letterpress is, is also kind of uh, doing well. I mean, against all odds uh, as well. So, so different parts of letterpress have become more uh, 
more strong. So, and this is all good because it supports our, our whole ecosystem of suppliers and, and uh, buyers. Right. Uh, you know, so I, I think it's, it's great to see. I would never have predicted typecasting would, would be um, where it is now. So I'm not the best at predicting the future. So <laughs> don't ask me. But I, I know that with so many creative, talented, excited people working in the field, that, that good things are going to happen, yeah. even if I don't know what they are. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Well, you know, someone, um, I guess both on and off the air have, have talked a little bit about, um, the people printing letterpress actually never stopped when offset started taking over in the digital. There were a lot of people who continued to print letterpress, a lot of the book arts, people, people developing and printing books. Um, but, but what do you think was it that, that sort of hit that, uh, sort of, inflection point uh, do you think weddings contributed to that with that the sort of you know the feel of letterpress um do you think that had anything to do with that sort of increase i guess in popularity yeah absolutely okay absolutely. yeah i probably haven't given enough credit to the printers who um carried along a lot of the techniques and traditions through the years when it wasn't in martha stewart wedding when the, you know mm-hmm. it was not common uh, but but that's who I learned from those printers. Uh, and, uh, it's to their credit that we still have, you know, that we got through those leaner years. Um, and they weren't all delighted about the wedding printing because here we were hammering the paper so hard. Uh, it really wasn't the, the way letterpress had been traditionally done, Mm -hmm. but, but yeah, I think, uh, uh, Julie Holcomb uh, deserves a lot of credit for showing like kind of coming up with the model of, a. Uh, letterpress stationery built around, you know, photopolymer and, uh, and Heidelbergs and, uh, and Martha Stewart, of course, the magazine, uh, you know, they really promoted a lot of our work without, um, and uh, other letterpress printers early on because we were doing something different in the wedding community. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, various publications made it trendy. So yeah, that all kind of came together. Book art centers also kind of spreading the knowledge in different, different regions. So then you have regional kind of, uh, uh, clusters of letterpress pop up, right? Kind of all of that together is what what helped this all catch on. I think. Yeah, yeah, that's very cool. Well, you know, you've you talked quite a bit about the community and and just the uh, the sort of collection of all these people sort of coming together and figuring out how to print together. And one of the things I wanted to ask you about is letterpress commons. Uh, can you talk about that? Oh yeah, sure. Uh, uh, so letterpress commons started with a conversation with Jenny Wilson of uh, School of Visual Concepts. We were just chatting at the time about some of the online forums. Well, see, I, I learned a lot of printing on the online forums. Mm-hmm. Uh, like this, like even prior to Briar Press on the Let Press list. And uh, I had a question, I would just post it there. And that's where I found my first banner book and all that. But you notice on these, the, a lot of people were learning on forums and, and, and mailing lists, you know, how to print. But the same question would come up like every two or three months. And the people who would write the excellent authoritative answers would just get tired of answering it so many times. So, you know, a few years ago, we thought maybe we'd take a Wikipedia type model to, uh, to kind of just gather authoritative information and have people edit it over time. And so uh, that was more or less the idea. It was kind of a labor of love that uh, Jenny, she, I, Ksenia uh, Thomas also was involved in getting this thing started, put up online. Um, and we tried to... Um, get the ball rolling with some somewhat authoritative articles. You know, you asked about moving a press. I know we have an excellent article mm-hmm. up there on, you know, how to move a press. Uh, so, uh, so we got the ball rolling there. Um, once it was launched, I had, 
hoped that we would get a lot more uh, engagement with the editing. And at that point, we had to kind of cut back on costs here at Boxcar. So uh, it's there. It's waiting for people to go in and, and edit away. I mean, you can log in and, and submit changes. But, uh, but at this point, we haven't put much marketing muscle behind it. It's, it's waiting for us to do that. And someday we'll get back to trying to get this stuff better documented. There's a lot of articles that need to be written and uh, uh, a lot that could be contribute added to what's up there already. But yeah. it's really happy to be uh, uh, to put that up. Hopefully, it's been helpful for people. Uh, but uh, yeah. But at this point, at this point, uh, it's in your hands. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> yeah. is listening. It's in your right. hands. We put it up. That's right. Know? As we learn, yeah, we go contribute. Yeah. I mean, I can. I I definitely can attest. There's a lot of really valuable information there. I talked to Jessica White of, you know, she's the other, I guess, half of uh, Sydney Thomas with the letters, ladies of letterpress. She talked a lot about wood carving and what she did. So I've, I've uh, now gotten in, interested and I want to try to my hand at wood carving. And there's some fantastic articles on letterpress commons about the difference in wooden carving and wood engraving and ingrained and, you know, the different types of wood to use. And so it's, it's been really valuable for me as I'm trying to figure out where do I get the wood? Where do I get the tools to carve this stuff? You know, so there's a lot of really valuable information there. I would, oh, I would definitely hear. say. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. I mean, cause also it seems like with, with so many of the, uh, printers who come to us as new customers, they haven't really done much printing before. And so we've always had to take a, uh, a position that we're educating them on printing as well as, you know, selling the products. We have to help them set roller height. We have to help them mm -hmm. uh, get the press set up right, um, get the right inks, that sort of thing. Because otherwise it makes that they'll, they call, you know, they'll say the space isn't working. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> yeah. so it's like, yeah. well, it, it would work, but you, your, your rollers have been right. sitting on that press for 40 years. Um, and so, so that, that really helped us too. I mean, it, it wasn't entirely selfless. It was a way that we could say, okay, if you want to set roller height, here you go. This is a great article on it. Whereas, you know, some of the best nuggets about that always seem to come up in, in a Briar Press post, you know, from like, you know, just mm. random, I'm like random uh, thread. So trying to pull that all together helps us, you know, to get our customers online and up and running right yeah well and you guys have a lot of really valuable information i feel on your website i think it's boxcar.com right boxcarpress.com yeah, boxcarpress. d yeah. directly.com there's a lot of really instructional things and how to you know do things like make your digital files ready for plate making and that sort of stuff i feel like that's very, yeah. that's very helpful. well so yeah and my, my thinking on this too is is uh i love uh training our competition and training uh more people to do this because I feel like letterpress almost died because people were very proprietary with the knowledge. And I mean, another mm -hmm. printing method has really suffered when the people who knew what they were doing didn't share it with the younger people. And so I, I've always felt that we need to all be talking about what's working and what's not. And, and uh, you know, so if we find out any good tricks, we try to share it. It's, we don't try to be proprietary about any of this stuff because yeah. it, that's the road to obsolescence. Mm. You know, I, when I started learning letterpress, I was almost flabbergasted by that fact that uh, everyone in the letterpress community seemed so open and willing to share. And I, I didn't understand, having studied a little bit of entre entrepreneurship business, I'm like, isn't this considered sort of like intellectual property? Everyone has their own method for, if you know all of the smart ways, why would you tell all of your competition? But it seems like no one in the community 
cares about that. Everyone wants people to learn and to take it up and to, you know, <laughs> oh, why don't you print too? I, I'm sure there's people who care about that. But, sure. but I think the, the, the I, I think by and large, our community though is very sharing. Uh, we're all deeply aware we're still building an industry and we can't do this alone. And, you know, we got to all work together to improve what we do and keep up with the times. There's so many other threats that are more, uh, it, more pressing than the, the competition really, uh, obsolescence being the main one on my mind, you know, it's like mm -hmm. for us to be doing this antique printing method in 2017, we really yeah. need to be creative, be talking, kind of working out ideas, that sort of thing. Yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, in, a, in the age of digital, you know, everything digital and, you know, your the new iPhone, Apple 10, you know, with the face stuff. I mean, I'll, I'll, you know, it's where technology is going. Letterpress is, is totally almost an antithesis to that. Yes, exactly. And that, that struck me about the community, too. And I feel like the, the people at Minnesota Center for the Book Arts, it blew me away, too, when I was getting started, how excited they were and how sharing they were. And that really, for me, drew me in. And I, I, I hope that other people feel that as well about the community. I'm glad to hear you say that uh, because uh, that's how we find um, people that keep carrying the torch and bring new ideas and try new things, try stupid things that actually <laughs> end up, you know, like, I mean, like I did, right. uh, it, it ends up actually working. I don't know what I was thinking at the time, but uh, it ended up working out. Yeah, that's cool. Well, I have one thing I wanted to ask you about, and it's a bit selfish. I personally am uh, a sort of quasi-computer programmer. I work in computer security, and I am fascinated by the fact that, you know, you are president of Boxcar. You have this big letterpress organization, but you're also uh, a programmer. You're you're sort oh, of yeah. quasi-techie. So tell me about those two worlds. <laughs> well, you know, in, in, in that and photography and printmaking and computer programming, they're all very technical kind of step-by-step uh, -step things that I really enjoy mm -hmm. doing. Uh, I've always been gravitated toward, toward technical things. and I really like the technical aspect of printing. The, but, uh, but really, I mean, honestly, I, <laughs> for me, like the whole path that led me to, arts, to art and to printing was like getting away from the computer because I was mm -hmm. around computers a lot growing up. And, you know, I did like programming camp and, and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But I just got sick of it and burned out in high school. And I just wanted to make stuff, you know, actually stuff, stuff, not like on computer stuff. Right. And uh, it, it is funny. So, like, I really tried to distance myself from computers throughout college and, and afterwards. And it was really only the business needs for the company uh, that prompted me to take interest in computers again. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I realized, you know, especially after we moved to Syracuse, we'd need to have a really um, good website to reach out to find people. I mean, it would be a good cost-effective way to to find people. Google right. was really important, and uh, so we hired an IT guy, uh, Brian. He's still here. Our first IT guy. Uh, I think we only had like 20 people at the time, so it was kind of weird. It still is kind of weird for a letterpress company to have a, you know, <laughs> IT department or whatever. Mm -hmm. I would just sit with him because I was kind of curious what he was doing and just uh, kind of pick up on him. And it was different than the languages that I worked in, you know, 15 years prior, but, uh, it kind of made sense. And so, and then as, you know, as you probably know, like it projects can just snowball and bog <laughs> down so much. Yeah. And, you know, as I look around, what can I do to help get through the day? It was just always like, Oh man, we have so much like coding we need to do. So that's really where, and so I, I got back into it kind of that way. At this point, I really love programming. I mean, the <laughs> running a business is so kind of, uh, 
messy and uh, often unsatisfying. You're working on these projects that are just like long and it's going to take months to come to fruition. There's something really satisfying about mm-hmm. just like banging out a code, you know, let's, let's create a new uh, you know, little widget here. And yeah, okay, you know, eight hours later, you got something that actually is doing something. So, so for me, it was kind of satisfying break from, from some of the uh, things I was doing at work. And, uh, and really just because I feel like even nowadays, God, we're always behind in IT. There's so much we should be doing on our website that we're not. And it was just that pressure that really led me back into this. But, you know, I, I love it, too. I mean, I, I, can, yeah. I, I just enjoy it. And I'm the boss, so no one can tell me not to do that. So. <laughs> like, why is the boss a programming? Or... Who wonders why yeah. I'm coding. <laughs> But, uh, but, you know, some of the things that we've done, I'm kind of proud of, like the uh, Boxcar Press website where we mm-hmm. built a rip out of GhostScript and ImageMagic. And, or I guess we ended up using, uh, what's the other one? Uh, ImageMagic's uh, other library, graphic something. And, uh, yeah, so that's kind of cool. We, we ripped the plates, set out the separations, um, we could almost get that to go straight to our image setter, but for the fact that none of the open source um, uh, graphic libraries really understand what trapping is of printing plates. So. Uh, but, but that's kind of cool. Uh, I'm really happy with the uh, the quoting that we do for our really complex um, custom printing projects at Bella Figura. Uh, the the coding that went behind that is is absurdly complicated. And it, but it's very flexible at this point when we need to uh, add a new type of paper, add a new type of printing, that sort of thing. It's, yeah. it's been nice to build upon. So it's really helped us do things that we otherwise wouldn't have been able to do. Job tracking is really um, I'm pretty happy with the way that's working. Yeah, uh, We have a lot of data on the jobs we run, how long they take, how much uh, materials they're taking. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so these are all you know geeky projects that I feel like help us just be better uh, yeah, better printers, you know, get better customers, better informed customers and right. help yeah. everyone out. You know, as a, uh, as a, as a fellow techie, when I first ordered plates from you guys, I was, uh, amazed that, you know, when I submit my file and it, uh, the, the backend magic you guys have that sort of takes my, my file and, and I guess, you know, um, converts it into whatever you guys need. I mean, can you talk about the development of that? What, when did you decide to make something like that to, to make the process more efficient? I, I don't know. I, I just like systems, I guess. And, and it always just bothered me that handoff of the files that, you know, it's like, oh, we'll just email it to you. And then we open it up. And then the, it doesn't look like how it looked at the on the computer who sent it. You know, and they, they couldn't see that we were seeing something different. And we look at the hard copy. We may or may not catch the discrepancy. It just... Uh, that that whole messy handoff was something I felt like this could use some attention. And so I just kind of, um, and uh, you know, I mean, you know, it's just how much enterprise strength open source libraries are out there. I mean, it's incredible. It's like an incredible time to be running a business because something like that would have been way out of reach for anybody um, to build on their own, you know, like a small business like ours uh, uh, 10 years ago. But uh, but nowadays the stuff like GhostScript, uh, handling the PostScript and Image Magic, manipulating images that uh, it's, it's, if if you just spend the time with it and, and learn how the pieces go together, you can do so much. So um, 
so so we had we have a basically a at that point in time we had like a software team here of about four people and so we just gave them that project and uh it you know and they they pulled it off so (laughs) it's uh it's a fun challenge yeah, no kidding. And it's a really cool uh, service. I, I, I think it's, I can imagine it makes things much more efficient. Uh, for you I guys. really wish we could trap those separations. That's like, oh man, that's all proprietary, how Adobe does it. And you know, how if you don't know what trapping is, that's how the printing plates would overlap when they bump into each other. Like they actually have to, they can't be exactly how you see it on screen. They actually have to expand one of the printing plates so that if it's slightly off on press, you don't see that like gap between the two printing plates. Mm. And if we could, if we could solve that, we'd be really, uh, uh, really automated. But you know, I got other things to worry about. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At least people get a preview of what they're gonna, what they're gonna get on the printing plate. Absolutely, yeah. That part but is very I, cool. I'm always like, oh man, I wish we could do this. But, uh, yeah. Well, it's when because nice there's so much out there these days that you can uh, use to uh, open source to, to to run your business better. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about, you, you mentioned Bella Figura. Can you, can you talk a little bit more about, I guess, I don't know if they're alternate brands of boxcar or, uh, but I, I, it's Bella Figura and I think one other, right. That you guys sort of run as their. Yeah. Yeah. Smock is another brand that we have. They both are brands that we built internally. Uh, the Bella Figura was, um, the initial brand that my wife and I created in 2000. Uh, to uh, to kind of streamline some of the wedding invitation printing mm. at the time and make it easier for people to order. Then right. uh, Smock we started, I believe, in 2007, and we did that with one of the designers we'd worked with at Bella Figuera, Amy Graham Stigler, and uh, and that was a wholesale product that we sold um, uh, wholesale cards and stationery as well as custom printing. And uh, instead of doing online, that was that was meant for. Uh, in-store brick and mortar, uh, uh, albums, that sort of thing. And at this point they're, you know, they're about, um, 70% of our sales. So those are the major things that we do. And Bella Figuera more and more is, is where we're, uh, where we're focusing. And, uh, there's, there's some online, but actually primarily nowadays Bella Figuera's through brick and mortar distributors. So, um, and those have been good. I mean, uh, what I really love about it is just the high quality of um, design ideas and projects we work on. I just always am blown away by um, the cool combinations of uh, digital printing and letterpress, foil and letterpress, mm-hmm. and uh, the fascinating design ideas that come from our design team. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's terrific. It makes me very proud and so much more than I ha- had imagined when I got into letterpress <laughs> years ago. So it's always so exciting to see what's coming off the press. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, so that's, that's, even though I probably the people listening to this podcast know us for our, our supplies or our plate making still, we're a print shop, um, primarily. And, uh, and I think that's what helps our, uh, our products and helps us get people up and running. But, uh, that's also just kind of where personally my interest lies. I, I really love ink on paper and the way right. it sparkles and, uh, it's, that's what keeps me going. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's very cool. And Bella Figura is, I guess, a, a wedding line. Is that right? Like you do? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, okay. yeah. I mean, it has wedding. We do. We have holiday album, uh, okay. various other albums. But uh, in fact, I just pushed up the code this week. Speaking of code, for showing the holiday cards and the baby announcements that we do. For years, we've been doing them, but just didn't have them on the website. So 
finally had a two week sprint to get that online. And oh, nice! By the so, way, are you guys using the agile? Is it, did I just uh, hear you <laughs> drop the sprints word? <laughs> we try, we try, we try, we try. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> it's hard to sprint when your boss is like <laughs> involved in the sprinting. It's like, <laughs> oh wait, I got these other things. Uh, you know, my paper mill just went out of business. So I got to go handle that right now. So. Oh goodness! <laughs> yeah. So, wow. uh, but yeah, that's but cool. we try. That's cool. Well, well, look, Harold. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time. It's been a fantastic conversation. Um, you know, boxcars. Clearly, you guys are a leader, and it's also really fun to hear about. Uh, you know, your I guess humble beginnings and and how you guys sort of got here. And so, just thank you so much for taking the time. And I know others will really appreciate it. Well, thanks for your interest, Jordan. And yeah, uh, yeah, we really didn't know what we've been doing over the years, but just by staying focused on the the quality and the and listening to uh, what people need, I, I hope we. I, I think that's the reason we've we've done well. Uh, and uh, if you love letterpress and and you're listening to this, uh, stick with it. Uh, it. Good things will happen over time. And uh, I'm excited to see what you guys come up with. Hey guys, by the way, before we close out, I wanted to mention to you, Agile and Sprint may be foreign terms to many of you. Um, ultimately, those are just, uh, Agile methodology is a software development methodolo- methodology for developing code that actually makes a difference rather than someone sitting at their keyboard for months on end to produce a product that people don't like. Uh, so that's that's uh, kind of the, the background of what we were talking about there. I realize that's super techie, nerdy talk and <laughs> We're talking letterpress here mostly, so uh, I wanted to explain that. But uh, look, thank you so much for listening. I, I genuinely appreciate it. Ultimately, I'm just putting this podcast together with with a laptop and some fun conversations with people who are kind enough to offer their time. So I, I truly hope you find it valuable and insightful. Uh, and I'm always open to feedback or thoughts uh, as we continue. And remember, it's every two weeks, so every other week, uh, a new episode will be released on Tuesdays. Uh, and I try to incorporate some helpful tips in every episode and, and ask the people who actually know the answers to those, uh, to those questions. Uh, but it's also so much, so much fun to hear everyone's story. So I hope it's a good blend for you. To find links to references that Harold made throughout the episode, you can visit the show notes page for this episode. So that's at letterpressdigest.com slash four. That's just the number four. And that will be the same. That's the same for every episode. So just whatever episode number, you can just add that to the end of the URL and that will take you straight to that show notes page. Uh, And you can find Harold and uh, Boxcar at boxcarpress.com. Thank you so much for listening.